0: I got a brand new sweetie, better than the no one before, oh, she's got everything and a little bit more. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of Additional History Headlines You Probably Missed. I'm your host, Tiffany Clark, and today I've got a mini-episode for you, although I will admit this one might be kind of long. If you listened to Monday's episode about the first person to reach the South Pole, you'll know that I promised that this week's mini-episode would go along with that episode in some way. And I'm here to fulfill that promise. Today's episode date is November 29th, 1929. But that's not what day our headline is from. I'll explain why a little bit later. Instead, I'm taking today's actual headline from the front page of the Baltimore Sun, dated September 25th, 1928. It says, Youthful stowaway wins place in bird's Antarctic Expedition. Friends, this is the story of Billy Goronsky. Back in the 1920s, it seemed that everyone wanted to do something to stand out. Everyone wanted to be successful and do something big something that would get their names in the history books and in the newspapers. It was definitely a time for a lot of firsts and a lot of records and things like aviation. By that point, as we discussed in Monday's episode, pretty much every landmass on the planet had been visited or discovered. There weren't a lot of unknowns. So people set about to make history through research and scientific discoveries instead. Others didn't really have the means to make it big. But the desire was there, so they had to go about their fame in less traditional ways. Some people would sit on top of flagpoles. Some people would climb skyscrapers. And some people, like the subject of today's episode, became stowaways on ships. Oddly enough, becoming a stowaway wasn't a super uncommon thing back in the 1920s. In fact, it was kind of trendy. Some people thought it was just fun to see if they could get away with it. It was an easy way to catch a ride to a new and exciting place. Billy Gronsky, the subject of today's episode, was a 17-year-old boy. He'd just graduated from high school, and he had his whole life ahead of him. Well, sort of. Much of his life had already been planned out for him. Billy's parents had immigrated to the United States from Poland before he was even born. They wanted to live the American dream and have their own business, And maybe even become wealthy. The owning their own business part had come true when they opened some sort of upholstery and interior design business. The wealthy part didn't come as easily, though, and the family was forced to live in tenement housing. It was definitely better than it had been in the 1800s and the early 1900s, but the living situation still wasn't great. Billy was luckier than some. He was a smart kid and he had decent grades despite his tendency to skip school, much to his parents' dismay. Because of all the Jewish kids that he hung out with on the streets of New York, he actually knew how to speak Yiddish, and everyone thought it was funny coming from a Polish Catholic kid. Billy applied to and was accepted to Cooper Union College, which back then was a free college in New York. Nowadays, you have to pay tuition. Billy would be able to go to college for four years and, and then help his father with the family business. It was a great plan, but Billy didn't like it. Billy had dreams of adventure. His father had dreams of having him take over the family business. There was someone who was making a lot of headlines in 1928 that Billy especially idolized. It wasn't a singer or a Hollywood star, but rather an explorer. Richard Evelyn Byrd. Richard Byrd was about 40 years old in 1928, and he'd already made a name for himself as a Navy officer and in aviation. He served during World War I and received a lot of commendations and honors and promotions. And he also met a lot of influential people, and that would serve him well later in life. As a pilot, Richard Byrd wanted to be the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic. And if he would have gone through with his planned attempt in 1921, and been successful, he would have beat Charles Lindbergh by six years. However, the Secretary of the Navy, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., talked him out of the extremely dangerous trip. Then, in 1926, Richard Byrd became the first person to fly over the North Pole. Well, maybe. He and his flight partner, Floyd Bennett, both insisted it happen, But then evidence later on showed that they might not have ever made it to the right coordinates. It's a big long story, and I'm not going to give all the details of that. In 1927, Richard Byrd decided that, once again, he wanted to make an attempt at a transatlantic flight. Except, while his plane was being readied for the trip, Charles Lindbergh made his successful flight and got all of the accolades. Not to be deterred, Richard Byrd and a team of men flew a plane across the Atlantic anyway just a month later. They took a load of U.S. mail with them to show that air travel was the wave of the future. They were successful in their flight, but they did end up crashing on a Normandy beach when they arrived. So, in 1928, Richard Byrd set his sights on another victory. He decided that since he believed he was the first person to fly over the North Pole, He also wanted to be the first person to fly over the South Pole. He wanted to hold both records. He began to put together a crew to accompany him and a small fleet of ships on their Antarctic expedition. Roald Amundsen, the first man to reach the South Pole, would serve as one of his advisors. Sadly, though, Roald Amundsen would end up dying in June, just two months before Richard Byrd's expedition left New York. He had gone on a rescue trip for a missing aircraft of some sort, flying in a dirigible with a group of other men to look for that missing ship. And even though it's been nearly a hundred years, neither Roald Amundsen's dirigible nor his body has ever been found. They just disappeared. Anyway, like I already said, this was a time when everyone wanted to stand out and do something big. When Bird's trip was announced, 60,000 people volunteered to go with him. They didn't even care if they got paid, and that included some of the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. Billy Goronsky dreamed of being one of those crew members, and he even approached his parents about it, but his father put his foot down, said absolutely not, and he didn't want to hear any more talk of such nonsense. Billy wouldn't turn 18 until a couple of weeks after the expedition sailed, and that meant he absolutely had to have a parental waiver. Billy wasn't defeated, though, and he couldn't stop thinking about it. Slowly, he started to form a plan in his head. Captain Bird's main ship for the expedition was named City of New York. The ship was a 147-foot-long steamship, and at its highest point, it was as tall as a three-story building. It also had all the sails and rigging as an optional sailing method, I guess you could say. Captain Byrd's Antarctic expedition was set to leave in August of 1928. A few days before that happened, they decided to give tours of the city of New York. They charged a dollar for admission, and it turned out to be a great way to raise more funds for the trip. Thousands of people showed up to take a tour, including 17-year-old Billy Gronsky. He looked on in awe as they walked through all of the decks and the galley and the captain's quarters, but Billy wasn't just looking to see what it was like. He was looking to see what part of the ship would have the best hiding place. He was going to attempt to become a stowaway aboard the city of New York. Maybe if he could meet Captain Bird in person and plead his case, the man would have mercy on him and let him stay. On the evening of August 24th, without telling his parents where he was going, Billy left home and staked out a spot across the Hudson River from where the ship was moored. He didn't dare make his attempt to board during daylight hours because it would be too easy for someone to spot him. Instead, he sat and waited and waited and waited. The sun set, and still Billy waited. He went over his plan in his head planning every single move, until he knew it frontward and backward. Still, the hours passed, and he didn't make his move. Now, Billy was a very strong swimmer, and he'd been on swim teams growing up. He'd even spent a lot of time swimming in rivers, including ones with stronger currents than the Hudson. The swim didn't worry him at all. He knew he could make it. It was just everything else that gave him a little bit of pause. Then, finally, around four in the morning, Billy finally decided the timing was right and he dove into the Hudson River, swimming straight for the city of New York. The water was cold and by the time he reached the ship he was numb and tired, but he had just enough strength to grab a rope hanging off the backside of the ship and pull himself up and over the edge onto the deck. Then he stood there, dripping wet, contemplating his next move. He stripped down to his underwear, stowed his clothing, and by the way, he'd been wearing his high school graduation suit, and then he hid on the forward deck, knowing he'd have to stay there for many hours. What Billy didn't know was that on the same day he was swimming the Hudson, newspapers were reporting a tragic end to a group of other stowaways. The Brooklyn Daily Times reported that a ship had sailed into port in Baltimore from Brazil. Then, after all the crew had disembarked, the ship was fumigated for yellow fever. It was flooded with deadly hydrocyanic acid. What the fumigators didn't know was that a group of stowaways had become trapped in the hold when the hatches were closed to pour in the acid. They'd been hiding under the ship's pile of ore for the whole journey. When the stowaways were discovered, seven people had already died. Three more were almost dead and an additional six were sick from the acidic fumes. It was very sad. Anyway, once on board the city of New York, Billy tried to stay calm and quiet, but then he started hearing strange noises. He thought maybe there was a rat on board, but it turns out it was something much worse. Shocked, Billy found himself looking into the face of another boy, another stowaway. A 16-year-old high school dropout from Brooklyn, a boy named Jack, had had the same idea as Billy, except Jack had at least brought a little bit of money and a suitcase with a few pieces of clothing, unlike Billy, who had nothing. The boys began to argue back and forth, each trying to discourage the other from attempting the trip. After all, Captain Bird might allow one stowaway when he was caught, but surely he wouldn't allow two. The boys' argument got louder and louder until suddenly a third voice told them to be quiet. Yep, you guessed it, there was a third stowaway on deck. It turned out to be a 20-year-old man named Bob. He'd been hiding there for two days already. When the sun came up and the day began, the boys could almost taste their victory. Huge crowds gathered on the pier to wave goodbye to the adventurers, and there was all kinds of pomp and circumstance. I mean, even Amelia Earhart came aboard to say goodbye to her friend, Captain Bird. Then, finally, about one o'clock in the afternoon, the City of New York ship pulled away from the pier, ready to begin her journey. Captain Bird was aboard the ship, along with a few reporters who were just there for the show. The ship actually planned to stop after just a few miles to let them off, and that included Captain Bird. He would meet up with the ship later. The stowaways had been successful, or so they thought. Unfortunately, the two hot headed boys, not including 20 year old Bob, began to argue again. And since they were so loud that time, someone heard them and went to investigate. Sure enough, both of them were discovered. Captain Bird was still on board, and Billy was taken above deck, still in his underwear to talk to the captain. It wasn't exactly how he'd imagined meeting his idol. When Captain Bird asked for his name and other information, Billy was so embarrassed and so ashamed that he refused to answer. So, instead, he was put aboard another ship and returned to shore. Reporters took pictures of the bedraggled boy, and one of them ended up on the front page of the New York Times the next day. And in case you're wondering, yes, Jack was caught and sent to shore too. The boys had to wait in a juvenile detention center until their parents could come and pick them up. Bob was eventually caught as well, but he got lucky. One of the men who was supposed to be part of the kitchen crew had been kidnapped, something the man's wife orchestrated to keep him from going on the expedition, and there was suddenly an opening on the ship. Bob got the job. As you can probably imagine, Billy Goronsky was absolutely devastated. His last shot to make it the Captain Bird's expedition was gone. He was going to have to suck it up and go to college and eventually go to work with his father. But no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't picture himself doing that. Despite all that had happened and all of the jokes made about him in the newspapers, he still wanted adventure. On September 15th, Less than a month after his first attempt to become a stowaway, and right when he was supposed to be starting college, Billy decided to leave home again. He escaped by jumping out of his second-story window and taking a subway to Brooklyn. Again, just like the first time, Billy didn't think to take in his supplies with him. He didn't have a change of clothes, and he didn't have any food. But, just like the first time, he didn't care because he was determined to make it onto the expedition. Yes, the city of New York was long gone, but there were other ships going on the long expedition, and they would eventually meet up with Captain Bird's main ship. And at least one of those ships hadn't left yet. The expedition's supply ship, named the Eleanor Bulling after Richard Bird's mother, was still in New York. And Billy had heard that the 36-year-old captain, Gustav Brown, who was sailing as a captain for the first time, by the way, was a lot nicer than some of the other captains. Billy knew that Gustav had started sailing when he was just 14 years old, and he might take a liking to a teenage stowaway who had already made the news and brought even more attention to the expedition, something they liked. Once again, Billy dove into the water and made the long swim to the boat. He figured that method worked the first time, he might as well stick to it. He climbed aboard and tried to hide. Unfortunately, after all the stowaways they'd been finding on their ships, the expedition knew to take a really good look around the decks before setting sail. And, once again, Billy was discovered and taken to the captain. Gustav Brown was nice, and he praised Billy for his dedication to his cause, but still, he kicked him off the ship and onto the dock. Like I said a minute ago, Billy had already made a lot of newspaper headlines on his first attempt, but the fact that the same cheeky boy had tried it again made him a sensation, and the newspapers gobbled up his story. Do you think Billy gave up then? No, of course not. Just a few hours after he was kicked off for the second time, once again, he climbed aboard the Eleanor Bowling. And yes, he was caught for a third time. Instead of sailing on the Elnor Bowling, Billy Garonsky had to sit and wait for his father to pick him up. As you can imagine, his father was not happy, and he had a lot of choice words for his son on the drive home. Billy went straight to his room that night, but as soon as his parents were asleep, once again, he snuck out his window and caught a ride from a passing car. He told everyone he met along the way that he was going on the expedition, and that the offer had come at the last minute, and he could only have the job if he could get to the Eleanor Bowling's next stop in Virginia before they left. That's where the ship would be loading more supplies. People thought it was cool, and they hurried to help the boy. One man even drove him right to the dock. This is where Billy finally caught a bit of good luck. You see... In the few days since the Eleanor Bowling had left New York, a horrible storm had come up, and the Eleanor Bowling had had to fight strong winds and rough seas, and it took them two extra days to get to their stop in Virginia. It was just enough time for Billy to get there. Except that time, he didn't try to sneak on board as a stowaway. He stood on the dock and waved at the crew as they pulled in. The crew, who had just had a very rough few days, were so excited to see the determined boy that they all cheered and waved. The Eleanor Bowling's chief cook, who had also been with Captain Bird on his North Pole expedition, was so impressed by Billy's dedication and determination that he offered him a spot in the kitchen. Just as long as Captain Bird, who was going to come to see the ship off, approved of that appointment. They told Billy he could start washing dishes right away, and at least spend one night there until Bird arrived the next day. Billy was in heaven. He worked hard, and then he spent time exploring the ship and meeting all of the men whose names he had already memorized since he'd been so fascinated with the expedition. The next day, a reporter caught wind of Billy being on the ship and decided to scoop all of the other reporters. He went to the dock office to wait for Captain Bird to arrive. The captain was there to meet with his brother, who just happened to be the governor of Virginia. Governor Bird knew the reporter and introduced him to his explorer brother. When the reporter started questioning him about Billy Goronsky, Captain Bird was kind of confused. Why was the reporter talking about such old news? But when he found out that Billy was in Virginia, he laughed and laughed. Someone hurried to the ship to retrieve Billy, and he was taken to the governor's office where he met with Captain Bird and the reporter. He was pretty much offered the job. But then the worst thing imaginable for Billy happened. His parents had been searching for him, and they finally found out that he was in Virginia. They called the police and told them to arrest their son for truancy. The police agreed. The most interesting part about this is that Billy had already turned 18 about a week and a half before this. His parents shouldn't have legally been able to do anything, but the police and Captain Bird didn't want bad press, and it was allowed. But before his father even arrived in Virginia to get him, Billy was already making plans in his head to go to California and meet the Larson, which was the expedition ship Captain Bird would actually be aboard, to go to Antarctica. When Rudolf Gronsky, Billy's father, arrived, Billy immediately began to plead his case. He explained that he was an adult and he could make his own decisions, and that no matter how hard his father tried to hold him back, he was going to find a way to follow his dreams. Mr. Gronsky was tired of the constant fighting and battling with his son. So, much to everyone's surprise, especially Billy, he finally agreed he signed the papers. Billy was shocked and so, so excited. Captain Brown and Captain Bird were notified, and Billy was taken back to the Eleanor Bowling, but that time as a member of Captain Richard Bird's Antarctic Exploration Team. The reporters went crazy, telling the feel-good story about the boy who wouldn't give up in all of their newspapers. Some papers referred to him as the happiest boy in the world. Billy would go on to spend the next two years with Captain Bird's Antarctic expedition. Although he wasn't directly involved with much of the scientific studies or the part where Captain Bird flew an airplane over the South Pole, he was still an important part of the team. After all, the men had to stay fed, right? Everyone who was part of the expedition received a Medal of Honor from Congress when they returned to the U.S. And... This is probably a good time to tell you why today's episode date is November 29th, 1929. That was the day Captain Bird flew an airplane over the South Pole. The first man to ever do that. Now, it's also important to remember that the ships left in 1928, and they returned in 1930. While they were gone, the stock market crashed, and the country was thrown into the beginning days of the Great Depression. Billy had to find a job. He had no money and no education. Captain Bird wrote him a letter of recommendation, and that alone, since he had nothing else on his resume, got him accepted to Columbia College on a partial scholarship. It was written that his fellow classmates loved to hear his stories of adventure in Antarctica of seeing things like pink dolphins and icebergs the size of Manhattan. Unfortunately, times were tough, and Billy's parents lost their upholstery and interior design business in 1932. Billy had no choice but to drop out of college so he could help support them. He decided to do the only thing he had any experience with, and he went back to sea, that time as a deckhand. Then he joined the Merchant Marines, a choice that would end up leading to his lifelong career. Since he already had experience at sea and had two years of college, he started getting promoted pretty quickly. People liked him for being a nice guy and a guy that didn't drink and preferred to recite poetry instead. When World War II rolled around, Billy, or William Goronsky, was once again promoted and became one of the youngest sea captains in the war. Billy got married and had a couple of sons, but the marriage didn't work out and the couple soon divorced. Then, while in the merchant marines, Billy sailed to Poland. There he met a girl who was twenty years younger than him. She didn't think anyone would ever love her since she had a deformed arm that was injured by shrapnel during the war. But the arm didn't bother Billy, and despite the age difference, the couple fell in love and got married, staying together until he passed away on May 18, 1981, at the age of 70. Billy's legacy lives on in the old newspaper articles and in books like The Stowaway by Lori Gwen Shapiro. It's a fun read if you like to read nonfiction. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode about a kid with a lot of determination. Join me again this coming Monday for more additional history stories that were written about in newspapers, the same day as a very interesting day in history. I hope you tune in. Talk to you later.